Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, this is Sharon Swing, and I'm so glad you've joined us for another episode of the One Life Maps podcast. I am thrilled today to have a very interesting and special guest with us named Jim Brule. He has a website called transformationalstorytelling.org. And Jim, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure I'm, to be here. I'm so glad that you decided to to do this interview with me. Can you tell our audience, because I think you'll tell it better than I could. Who are you? What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, there's, you know, the short and the long versions of that. But the short version is um, I'm basically involved in two two overlapping things. One is I'm what's known as a Magid. And that's a, a term most people don't know. It means I'm an inspirational storyteller. And it means I've been actually not only trained, but ordained to do that in the Jewish tradition. Um, But my work is not limited to the Jewish tradition. I work with, in fact, I don't see how it can be. I work with storytellers and healers from a huge number of traditions, um, believing that we can only really get to know each other when we get to know ourselves and vice Mm -hmm. versa. So, um, So I teach storytellers how to be better at inspiring people to change and to grow without telling them like in a fable this is how you have to do it but Mm -hmm. kind of opening up those that transformation and that growth that is so individual um and the second part of things that i do is i'm an end-of-life doula which means let me say that again an an end-of-life doula just want to make sure that people got the words (laughs) the words because it's beautiful Go ahead and tell us what sure. that is. Well, and many people have heard of a birth doula. Um, and this is someone who accompanies a woman through the transition of bringing a new uh, life into this world. Um, I'm an end of life doula, which means I help people with the transition out of this world. And I don't just help the person who's leaving. I help their family work. You know, the, the two are inseparable at that time. Um, and so I work with them both in the kind of the hard work of leaving this world, but also in planning the legacy that somebody wants to leave behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very involved in a sort of thing that's called either ethical wills or family legacy. It has a lot of names, but it's trying to help people tell the stories that carry the values they want to be carried on after they leave. So mm-hmm. I work with families and, and the individuals to help that happen. So. And you're not a financial planner. I'm not a financial planner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't do the money side of things at all. Um, so that's that's what I do. Is I, I, so, and to me, the two are intimately related. Uh, it's all about telling stories from, from our depths with an open heart um, and connecting with people in that way. And when that happens, whether it's you know a, a, a transformational event or an end of life event, uh, that's when really just amazing things can happen. Absolutely. And the amazing things are, um, like you said, things of the heart, the growth mm. and the and the change that are available. And I think that's where um, I got really excited to hear a little bit about you, actually from my niece, who my niece Joy, who just started a podcast called Here We Are, What It Means to Be Human. And um, 
And so she's putting together a lot of interesting episodes and meeting a lot of interesting people along the way. And she got interested in this idea of storytelling and what that means in terms of being human. Sure. And that's how she came across you, as you know. So um, I will put in the show notes, by the way, the link to the episode where Joy interviews Jim, because you'll want to hear that one too. Okay, so I want to start, I'm going to back up a little bit, Jim, and can you tell me about a story? This is a, a question I ask um, most mm-hmm. everybody that I, that I interview about an early remembrance of an encounter with God or the divine. Yeah, um, and I have to say there's been a lot. <laughs> so I wanted to pick one that I thought was representative. And I remember it was actually in college. Um, and I was taking a trip across the country. And you have to know this was in the, in the early 70s. So there's a, you know, a certain wild-hearted spiritedness about making a hitchhiking trip across the United States. And I made it um, at this point as far as uh, Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. And to appreciate this, it was in early May. The park was still closed because there was so much snow on the ground. Um, it was cold and nippy, and there was no one else around. You know, just just our VW microbus as it's made its way across. And I left I left that behind, and I took a hike out into the woods. And I came across a clearing. Now Rocky Mountain National Park is a place of great high peaks, not the highest, but some pretty pretty spectacular ones. And I found myself in this high altitude meadow, snow over the ground everywhere, and these mountains ringing me, soaring around me. And even though this was that time of, of the, our country, I was, I was not in any kind of altered state due to chemicals, but I will tell you, as I stood out in the middle of that meadow, I heard the mountains sing and it touched me so deeply. I still, I still get choked up as I think about that moment. And it was an encounter with the divine as I've grown to understand the divine, not as some kind of personage, although lots of times I talk as if <laughs> it is that kind of personage, but a really just fundamental creative force in the universe. And I felt like I was in touch with it at that moment. And it, it, it has stayed with me. Um, and so when I think of trying to lead a spiritual life, trying to lead a good life, I'm, I'm often drawn back to that, that high altitude meadow. Uh, and so that's, that's one of my, one of my uh, encounters. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. It, it, um, it sounds like a touchstone, touchstone story for you to help you to remember an essence of, yeah. of, of your, the base of who you see yourself to be, who you see God to be. Yes. And the relationship yeah. between you. Yeah. Hmm. It's, 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 um, it's interesting for me because my own theology that I've developed over the many years since then um, has uh, in some time, it's sometimes along the way it's taken on uh, the notion of the divine has been kind of a more 
person out there. Mm -hmm. But um, I always find myself coming back here and realizing that's just a filter I use to try and understand what's going on. That, that really, uh, the creator is much more than anything I can imagine. Yeah. The journey I've been on would be aligned in a lot of ways in terms of um, that it's it's the both and or the, mm -hmm. the three and, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> instead of just both uh, in the midst of that. And um you know, to find God in nature is is a common touchstone story mm -hmm. of that kind. But the the mountain singing, I have to ask, what did it sound like? You know, I, it was glorious. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, uh, if I was going to put a word to it, it would be hallelujah. Uh, just it was exuberant and sweet and powerful all at once. Did it have a good rhythm? <laughs> it was more of a chorus more of a chorus i love it i love it i can uh, take myself to some one of my favorite places on earth is uh one of the peaks in colorado um where i've skied many times and the view from that particular spot and also the anticipation of skiing down this particular part of that mountain, <laughs> you know is 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 just that that is just one of my one of my things of making me come alive. Sure, sure. Yeah, I love what happens when we tell each other stories about what makes us come alive. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's one of the types of stories I like to tell. I think a lot of the story stories that I tell with people and work with them on are stories of struggle, mm -hmm. um, and and how people find unexpected strength in the middle of that, mm -hmm. how they can at times just acknowledge that the struggle is bigger than they are. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that, yeah, it's, it's a lot of it is joy. I don't mean to say it isn't, but a lot of it is also the struggle. Um, and that that's closer to my theology, actually. Yeah. I think the suffering is what opens our hearts to a new way of seeing. Yes. Um, and a new way of receiving um, healing, joy, mm -hmm. connection. Uh, yeah, it's it. Yeah. I find that as well. And as as we do, listen to my life, and we we have, of course, a we have a my life now map and a my life story map. Then we have a peak experiences map, and then a valley experiences map. Those are the first four. And the valley mm -hmm. experiences map. Um, the visual on that one is actually walking through a valley to the mountain uh, countryside. Sure. And um, the middle of it is crossing over a stream, um, asking the question is, how do I grieve in healthy ways? Mm -hmm. And um, but the sharing that happens after those particular maps are what binds people together. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so there's a there's a magic in those kind of stories and, and for sure. So why do you value story? How did you come to realize that story was a core piece of what you were interested in, what you were made to do? Well, you know, it's, um, I discovered just a few years ago, not even that, maybe two or three years ago, that um, looking back, my first job was as a storyteller. Um, 
I was hired as a storyteller for summer camps. And I, I didn't even know that about myself at that point. The fellow who hired me obviously knew a lot more about me than I did. Um, but story is one of those things that is so ingrained in me that I really can't point to a time when it started. Um, it's grown deeper and deeper. My, my first professional career was as a family therapist. And it was a particular type of family therapist where we had a, a very clear um, philosophy that has just uh, sustained me in, in much the way that that mountain did. Um, we knew that when families came to us, that we would never be able to tell them what they, they should do because we couldn't possibly understand them well enough. There's two, people are far too rich and families are far too rich to be able to say, here's the answer. Mm -hmm. So we had to accept that. And the other thing that we had to accept was that people were in pain, but they had been trying to get out of pain for quite a while before they would come to therapy. And so they had tried a lot of things that hadn't worked. And if all we did was to make them feel a little more comfortable, they'd never be able to push through to whatever new thing that was that they needed to do. Mm, that's wisdom. So, yeah. So we put those two things together, and I don't mean to say we invented it, but this, this method did. And um, we would challenge them in ways that weren't obvious to them to break through to, to a new way of seeing things. And it usually was to ask them to keep doing what they were doing, just do it more, <laughs> which seemed very strange to most people, but it worked, worked very well. And the reason I tell you that whole long story is that that's the way I tell stories, is I know that I have something in my story that you need, and I don't know what it is, and I won't know what it is. And so I need to tell my story with an open heart in a way that invites you to see the world a little differently and make some changes. Mm -hmm. I don't have an agenda. I don't say this is what you should be doing or your life would be better if only. It's none of that. There are stories of opening. There are stories of struggle. And um, sometimes there are stories of despair. But they all leave the next chapter up to the audience to figure out how that goes. And I've had it happen quite often that different people in the audience will hear something very different. That's, that's just fine. That's the way it's supposed to be. That means I'm doing my job. Um, so, so that whole attitude of saying, I don't know what's right for you, but I know that working with an open heart is. Mm -hmm. And that's the best thing I can do is to open my heart to you and invite you to open your heart to me. And in the process, wrap it in the story. So part of Jewish tradition is, is Midrash. How does that relate? Right. Well, Midrash is... Yeah, yes, define it yes, first, I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> well, Midrash, it's a, it's a great word. It actually means to explain. In a lot of popular use, it means a story, but that's not what it means but it's often used in that way because a lot of Midrash use story in order to teach. Um, so it's, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but, 
But Midrash says, there's something uncomfortable for me in this, in this piece of scripture or in this teaching or whatever. There's something I'm not comfortable with. Either I don't like it or I don't understand it or there seems to be a gap. And Midrash says, rather than try and smooth it over, let's look deeply at it. Let's make it a little more uncomfortable. Let's, let's dive into that and see what comes up for us. And in the middle of that, a truth will emerge. In fact, the one form of Midrash, which I love, draws an analogy between the question and an, another story, and it leaves out part of the answer. It leaves some white space. And that's because that's where the truth is. The truth is in the thing that isn't said. And each person will hear what they need to hear in that moment. Hmm. That is so interesting. And connecting back to something you said before about the idea that as we share our stories with one another, and especially people that are different than us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So say, say some more about, about <laughs> listening to people with different stories. Well, I, I, so one, yeah, one of the things that I do, there's a three of us, uh, we call ourselves the brothers three. And it sounds like a really bad joke. It's a Baptist, a Muslim, and a Jew. <laughs> and we go and we talk yeah, to people. There doesn't even be a punchline to that one. I no, like no, 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 that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, um, you know, we go to churches and mosques and all sorts of places to just show how, how we can learn from each other how we can have different opinions and stories and still be, be brothers, which we are. And we had gone to this one church. Um, it's a Lutheran church as it happens. And um, after we each kind of make our opening remarks, we invite questions from the audience. And this one fellow stood up and he pointed to Muhammad and no, he's not the Baptist. He's a Muslim. <laughs> and he says, he says, I know you folks, you just want to kill the world. You know, he was very, very angry. And Muhammad, who's heard that before, started to try and answer it. And he says, you're just going to lie to me. I'm leaving. And he stormed out. And, you know, the pastor was very apologetic and so on and so forth. But they invited us back the following year. So we came back. And the guy's there again. And this time he's standing further away. And he stood there with his arms folded, angry, feet apart didn't say a word the entire time, but he stayed. And the third time, <laughs> we came back another time. And he, um, this time he asked me a question. Um, and he said, wouldn't it be better if it was just one big melting pot? Wouldn't, wouldn't we all get along better? Hmm. And I said to him, well, maybe, but consider, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go up to these big gumball machines and they'd have all sorts of different colors of gumballs in them. And I was trying to get a blue one, but you never knew what you were going to get. Said if we made that a melting pot, it'd just turn into a big gray, icky mess. And I don't think it would taste too good. I think it's better when we have all our differences. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I think you're right. I think we just need softer shells. And he taught me so much in that moment. He taught me so much. And that's, and that's what it is. It's getting people to be able to say, yes, we have a lot in common, but our differences are what makes it really interesting and what makes it really beautiful. 
And so, so bringing that to people to say, how do we not just tolerate each other's differences, but really treasure them is the key. Mm. I love that story. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. for, thanks for choosing to tell that one. Um, yeah. I think your brothers, your, your brothers three is, yeah. uh, is unfortunately a very unique experience. It's not, it, it, it is in a sense, but it's not, um, it doesn't have to be. And I will tell you the communities that spring up from that achieve that. I, I, I'll take some credit for saying we spark it, but mm -hmm. it, it, it absolutely carries on its, on its own because once you've had that experience, you want more yeah. and it's, it's kind of self-sustaining. So if I understand Midrash, it's, ah, yeah. it's, 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 it, it's also a piece of, cause we're, this all loops back on itself, right? It, it does. Um, there's, if I understand the ground rules, more or less, it's, it is about discussing what it might mean to me and, and actually sharing those things and helping, uh, just to having an open heart, like you've said, to being yeah. able to listen to what uh, how others see it, because our stories, our 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 backstories, our individual yeah. backstories, inform the reading or the view that we take into the story. Yep. Yeah. And um, and then as we listen to the stories of others, we get to see a different facet in the diamond, so to speak. Yep. Yeah in that kind of a way. And we still have the power to sort out our own stories to decide what mm -hmm. we want to take with us, what we want to leave behind. Um, but at least we get to be curious about how did someone else come to that conclusion? Right. And, um, and here we sit as we record this, uh, we're in the, in the season beyond the election day in the United States and knowing who <laughs> our next president is going to be. <laughs> been a very divided country yeah and there are so many just such a lack of of an of a curiosity about how did you come to that conclusion yeah yeah <laughs> or what is it that you're trying to protect or what are you afraid of yeah yeah um, and i think those are the questions i think the division which you know is horrific it's really horrific right now. And I can speak to it in our country. And I have, I'm part of really an international cadre of storytellers. I can tell you this is not just in our country, but mm -hmm. that's where we have to address it. Um, fear is the main power behind it. Um, fear is the thing, you know, I'm afraid of you. So I've got to protect myself and protect what's important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and if somehow I can get to you and have you tell me what's important to you, I have a pretty good sense that when I, if I can go deep enough with that, we're going to share that. I, I, I think we're all basically looking for the same thing. Um, how we get there is different. And sometimes it's so powered by fear that it gets a little ugly. Um, but I, I still think we have an opportunity to meet each other. Um, I don't think we've had a time that I can recall where it's been so absolutely critical that we do that. And I'm worried. I'm frankly worried. But that's why I do what I'm doing now, which is to make sure I get a different storyteller twice a day telling a story about healing to the world. Um, this is this is what we need to do. So, yeah. yeah. 
and I, I think that um, just helping people enter into situations where we become um, open to the stories of another, help mm -hmm. us sort out our own story. You know, sure. Because for, you know, I grew up in a household with particular political beliefs, particular spiritual beliefs, particular beliefs about money, about yep. sex, about, you know, you name all the themes, you know, <laughs> sure, hundreds sure. of them. Um, and until you grow up a little bit and get to know some of people that are different than you, you don't know that there are other ways to view those things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you end up finding out that how someone else views it might actually work better. But <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? What do you know? And yeah, so we talk about helping people sort out their stories, what to take with, what to leave behind, as I said before. Yes. And and I think part of why we call the listening guidelines as people share their stories with each other, the secret sauce, is because of the fact that sometimes when we speak our own stories, we hear ourselves say them, say them, and we hear them fresh as right. if for the first time in some ways, almost like I didn't know I felt that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, and, but then also as we listen to the stories of another, we open our hearts and, and become more compassionate, but also be able to appreciate the fact that other people's stories are different than ours. And, and oh, that's why we come to different conclusions about this. And it's hard to hate a person when you understand their story. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I uh, definitely love that. So what are the elements? I want to ask this question. What are sure. the elements of a, of a story that makes it transforming? Well, um, you know, there's an arc to a story that most people, if you just show it to them, they automatically recognize. And that is you have a protagonist, you have something they're yearning for, they have some obstacles to overcome, and then there's the story of them getting to finally overcome them, those obstacles and achieve the object of their desire. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of good stories use that rubric um, mm -hmm. for, good, for very good reason. One of the reasons that people probably don't realize is because that's actually how our brains work. Um, and there's a lot of neuroscience to say the, way, the order in which we proceed through those stages actually gets us ready to learn and encounter something new. Um, what makes it transformational is that in those moments where the obstacle is being wrestled with and hopefully overcome, um, there's a surprise. There's a change in context. There's a perspective, not just a shock. There's a perspective change that comes that's unexpected. And in that moment, all sorts of amazing things happen to us spiritually and physiologically and in every sense of the word. We are fundamentally changed in those moments and we are changed in a way that's unpredictable. And that's what happens in a transformational story is that you, you take people along a journey and you let them know what to expect. And then at the critical moment, you surprise them. But you don't surprise them in a way that is intended to just shock them or hurt them or leave them feeling out of bounds. You, you surprise them in a way that says, oh, there's another way I could be looking at this. 
And in that moment, that's when the transformation is possible. It doesn't happen to everybody every time, but those are kind of the preconditions. So making sure that somebody has identified with the protagonist, whatever the situation is, that they've sunk into the context, they're feeling the world of the story. They're not just being told what it is, but they're feeling it. They have some investment in the struggle, in, the, in, in what it is that's being yearned for. They kind of yearn for it too. And they get all excited about the context. The contest, that's, that's when the, the good stuff happens. That's mm. when it happens. So what are the important things for a listener? Like how does a listener set themselves up to be able to gain the wisdom from a story? Well, again, I think it all comes down to, in one sense, uh, well, maybe two things. One is you have to trust the situation. And you have to be able to legitimately trust the situation. Because, you know, there are people out there who are either telling a story and they don't know how, or they're telling a story for a purpose that may not be what you want. And so there's you, an agenda. You, there's an agenda. And, and you want to be cautious there, I would say, if, you know. Um, I don't need another uh, set of encyclopedias, uh, you know, so why are you telling me this story? But if you can trust that you're in that environment where somebody or, or, or a story is there not trying to convince you of something, but trying to open you up, then the second part is you need to open up. You need to open your heart and, and, and listen and listen to the story. Um, and there's many different ways that that happens. It happens between two people. It happens between an audience and a storyteller. It happens between a person in the world. Um, you know, it, it comes from living with an open heart and, and enough trust to say, legitimate trust, to say, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take this chance. I'm ready to take this chance. Mm. I think of my son who... Um... He graduated with a degree in documentary uh, journalism. Okay. And uh, his dream would be to, to produce and direct and edit of those kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. And I think what draws him to him is the same kind of thing in terms of just this, this desire to tell stories in a way that, um, that opens us up, us up to the possibility of um, understanding injustice, um, of, mm -hmm. of opening our hearts to love, mm -hmm. um, of, of deciding to be part of the change that you want to see happen in the world, um, those kinds of things. And I, I think it's, it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful art of mm -hmm. storytelling as well that I've just so enjoyed over the course, over the course of time when, as he got interested, starting to watch so many more different kinds of documentaries in that vein. Sure. Yeah, we're in well, an can age I, where can, we can do that. Yeah. Can I tell you a short story that maybe illustrates this whole thing? Yeah, go ahead. I'd love to. Um, and, and this is a story from the Muslim tradition. It's actually one of my favorites. And it, it helps to know that this is from their second secondary set of scriptures, not their primary. It's not the Quran, but it's the Hadith, which are the stories that were told by people who knew the prophet but they're not, they're not scripture. Um, and the story is that there was a, a really terrible man. He had killed 99 people. And just really pretty terrible. 
And for some reason, he decided it was time to change his life. Nobody knows why. So he went to a sage and he said, look, I've killed 99 people. I've done terrible things. I want to change my life. What do I need to do? And the sage looked at him and he said, you've killed 99 people. That's terrible. There's no hope for you. And so the murderer made it an even hundred uh, and killed him. But he still wanted to change. He still wanted to change. So he went to another sage and he said, I've killed a hundred people and I want to change my life. What do I need to do? And the sage said, well, the problem is obvious. You haven't surrounded yourself with good people. And the murderer said, you know, you're right. I don't know any good people. Yeah. The sage says, well, if you'll surround yourself with good people, it'll start to rub off on you and you'll, you'll gradually be able to change. And the murderer said, well, where would I ever find enough good people for that to happen? And the sage says, walk down this road. There's a village at the end of the road and it's entirely good people in that village. Go live with them and, and you'll be fine. So the murderer thanked him and he started to walk towards the village. And along the way, the angel of death came and took his soul. And as soon as the angel of death had his soul, there was an argument. The angels of heaven said, he's ours. He's repented. He's trying to do a good thing. He should go to heaven. And the angels of hell said, what did he do? He turned left on the road. He still murdered 100 people. He's ours. So what do they do? They go to Allah. And they say, whoa. Holy one, what do we do? How do we solve this? And the law says it's very simple. You measure the distance from the sage to the town. And if he got more than halfway, he goes to heaven. And if he didn't, he goes to hell. And the angel said, thank you very much. And they started down to earth to measure the distance. Well, before they could get there, God changed the world so that he was more than halfway. And he went to heaven. And the sages ask, how far down that road would he have had to travel for Allah to change the world? And the answer is one step. Hmm. What touches you about that story, Jim? It's the notion that the world is based on compassion that the fundamental force of the world is love and forgiveness and compassion. And I believe that, yeah. I know that. Yeah, from a, from a Christian worldview, that's a story about grace, mm -hmm. completely about grace. And uh, yeah, the, the word teshuva. Yes. One that I am enamored by. Tell us what it means. Well, teshuva, yeah, teshuva is, it's an interesting difference between Judaism and Christianity there. Mm -hmm. it, it means to, to uh, turn, to turn around, to, to make a change. So repentance is a way it's often translated, mm -hmm. but it really means to return or to turn. And in the Jewish way of looking at things, there are two kinds of sins we can commit. We can commit a sin against God, or we can commit a sin against another person. And if we commit a sin against God, we can go to God and ask for forgiveness. But if we commit a 
sin against another person, it's a little more complicated. Because the first thing we have to do is we have to go to that person and, and genuinely apologize and ask for forgiveness, and they have to give it to us. And then we can think about the, the next part, which is to actually repair the damage that we've done. Mm-hmm. And then we can think about the next part, which is to find ourselves in the position of committing the sin again and not do it. And it takes all those three things before we can go to God and say, I've done what I need to do person to person now. Please forgive me for my sin against you. So it's, it's a harder task to accomplish, which mm-hmm. means it's probably not a good idea to sin against other people, to injure other people. Uh, but it's very time consuming in addition to some other It's issues. very time, it's, it's a lot of work. But the very interesting physical metaphor that's applied to this, and that is when somebody is doing something that you think is wrong, the rabbis teach us you have to do two things. You have to push them away with your right hand, and you have to draw them close with your left. You have to push and pull at the same time. And what you're doing then is you're turning them around. But you, you do it by both identifying what it is that they're doing wrong, but also at the same time showing how much you love by drawing them close. And that's what Shuva is. Interesting. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think both of us share a... Uh, a common tenant about the power of storytelling um, and its opportunity that's laden within it to change the world mm-hmm. yes. because it has yes. the possibility of changing a human heart. Yes. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think about the possibilities of us telling ourselves our own story in terms of like mapping our own stories and, and understanding well, I do an awful lot of that with people. When, when people are trying to tell these kinds of stories, what ends up happening very, very quickly is let's say they start with a traditional story from some tradition. It doesn't take 10 minutes, but we're talking about what, what it means to them and what's their own story underneath it. And, and, and really starting to, to take a hard look at, well, if I was to change this story a little bit, what would, what would be different? And of course, that means if I change my story, what would be different about me? Um, and so it's some very deep work that takes place. Um, not everybody ends up explicitly telling their story like a memoir. Many do. But if they're telling this kind of a story, they're telling their own story. And they're recognizing themselves. in it. Yeah, well, even the selection of the story has something to do with it, right? Sure, sure. Whichever story they bring, yeah. Is they're, they're attracted to it because it's part of their own story in some metaphorical way, at least. Well, and, and the Kalahari say, tell the story that's pursuing you. Oh, and yes. yeah, and it, that will be your own story. It's already, it's already found you and it's pursuing you. Oh my goodness, that is so beautifully profound. Yes, in the at the first in the first map of Listen to My Life, we have um, something called the lingering question. You know, mm-hmm. we ask, you know, what's your situation? Um, what's causing restlessness? Who's involved? You know, these other questions. But the last one is is what's your lingering question? 
And a lot of people haven't thought about what their lingering question is necessarily, or it's something that is very an immediate uh, source of angst. Like, uh, right. what am I going to do to make money because I just lost my job, um, right. or something of that kind? But then, over time, we we keep kind of pulling back the layers of it. Yeah, yeah. And that's the that's the the crux. Of how so the did, magic what was, how was the, Yes. How did you phrase it? Say say it again. The story. Oh, uh, tell the story that's pursuing you. That's pursuing you. Yeah. Tell the story that's pursuing you. That is so fascinating. How is that wisdom for life? How is, um, I'm not sure I understand the question. So what do you mean? Yeah, how I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, that tell the story that's pursuing yeah. you. There's, there's a piece of wisdom in yeah. there that is profound in some interesting ways about um, seeing ourselves in a storyline and having agency, I think, yeah. Yeah. is part of it. But also, as we understand our story, to understand what the themes are and what makes us come alive and where, where we see our place in the world and making the world a better place, and I'll think, and, I, I think that's a story that's pursuing us possibly. What yes, do you think? I think so. I, you know, I, I will say um, there's a really hard thing about telling our own story. And that is that we know too many of the details. And we're, <laughs> yes, we're, we're as a always, art or, or as a well, yes, yes. But even when we're trying to work on it ourselves, mm-hmm. we, we know what's true and it's not. It might, it might be, they might be factuals, but they're not truths. Um, and so some, in some ways, it's easier to start with a story that isn't our own or that we think isn't our own and to find ourselves in it. Oh, so, a story that we think is not, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. great. Um, and, and when I work with people, what I have them do, because this is one of the, my main methods of teaching right now, is to have them see themselves as take to take each character in the story and make it the protagonist of the story. And you might have to change it to make each one the protagonist, mm-hmm. but do that. And the next thing you have to do is to take each one of those characters as the protagonist and make it yourself mm-hmm. and see the story as your story from all of those perspectives. Right. And then if you really want to go deep, you do the same thing and you make each one of those characters God mm. and say, what is God doing in this story? Hmm. Interesting. It's, it's a um, Visio Divina. Have you heard <laughs> yes. that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Visio Divina in terms of, of, of a, a, a way of entering scripture mm-hmm. uh, that we talk about that is, is that kind of uh, imaginative prayer experience where you're 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 seeing the story and embellishing it through the mm-hmm. eyes of the various different characters right and um entering into it in a way that says okay holy spirit show me what you want me to know today mm-hmm. what, what is it that you want me to notice um in this story and um and yeah it's it's a very interesting experience to help someone enter that 
enter that kind of space and and tell themselves the story or be present as they as they imagine it mm-hmm. and, uh, and speak it out there's always some interesting you know it it, it takes a lot of trust it does it does story and god yeah. is in the midst of of um of us as we mm-hmm. as we do it together in that mm-hmm. kind of a way so as I want to ask a last question about an sure. life doula, how do you oh, help yes. someone resolve their own story? Um, well, resolve is maybe the wrong word. <laughs> um, correct my wording. Anyway. Yes, no, no. Because I think, you know, with the many people that I've worked with at the end of their lives, um, there's some resolution that's being sought, but it's much more a sense of um, what is it that I want to pass on? And, and whether that's, you know, an explicit thing that I want to say to people or how do I want to be remembered? You know, we want to know how we will endure. Um, and um, people with various religious traditions will have different ideas about what's going to happen to them. But that's this is independent you know it's 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 kind of i i know there's people i'm leaving behind and there's also many who have no one left when they leave um and and you know this these are always different circumstances but the the urge is to kind of say i want my story to make sense to me mm-hmm. i want it to make sense yeah i, I and, talk about it as a as people are trying to find the coherent stories within their life and part of that they have to say "Ah, i need to forgive myself for some of these things um and and let them go um and realize that all those flaws are part of the good parts of me too that i wouldn't have come to the good parts of me without those flaws it's and i don't want to wax too poetic here but there's this wonderful form of japanese pottery called kintsugi where one adorns the cracks. And that's, so a lot of what I'm doing is helping people adorn the cracks mm. rather than plaster them over. Uh, yeah. Let's highlight them and see the good in them. Yeah, they, and the, the pictures are so beautiful. I'm a, I'm a potter, so. Ah, I, okay, so you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so so the cracks in the, in the cup or whatever, they actually adorn them with gold many times. Gold or platinum, the most, the most expensive metals they can manage, yes. And, and, and so the cracks actually end up being the most beautiful part of the vessel. That's right. In that That's way. That's right, yeah. It's absolutely stunning, yeah. how beautiful. So how can people learn more about what you do and uh, join you for some of your, the storytelling that happens on your Facebook page? Sure. So there's basically two main things I'm doing right now in storytelling. One is this twice a day storytelling that I'm doing with all these other storytellers at 2.30 and 8 p.m. on the East Coast time. And that's on the Transformational Storytelling Facebook page. And if you happen to visit there, you'll also see that there's a YouTube playlist where you can go back and listen to all the ones you might miss. The other thing that I'm doing is a series called Diving Deeply Into Stories. And we take two stories a month and we dive deeply into them, much in the way we've been talking about here. Um, And 
I take them from different traditions and often traditions people aren't familiar with. And we just look at them and say, well, how, what's going on in this story? And how might I even think about telling it differently to change what I'm getting out of it? Not that the, we have permission to change somebody else's story, but we can imagine it. And as a quick example, the next one that's coming up starting next week is two stories from Africa, one from Southeastern Africa and one from Northwestern Africa. And the one from North Af Northwestern Africa from the Yoruba will be told by a storyteller in Lagos. And it's about a river and the priest of the river will also be telling the same story. And so we get to hold them. The next one will be stories about dragons from Hungary and then native stories from this country and then uh, some more interesting stories from India. So we do that once a month. There's, we, we walk our way through these beautiful stories and go to transformationalstorytelling.org and you can see that. You can see the agenda there. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for the invitation. Sure. I so appreciate it. And uh, yes, if there's anything we can do to contribute to what you do, uh, let us know. Please. Okay, and, thank you. Oh, my goodness. I will definitely um, enjoy tuning in to more of the stories along the way. Okay. So, everybody, this has been Jim Brule from transformationalstorytelling.org. Uh, is is the core place, but also Transformational Storytelling um, Facebook page as well, um, like you said. So um, please engage with the this if, if you're drawn to. I just hope that this conversation has stirred some good things in you about why why story is kind of at the core of what makes us human as well as what what helps us to grow and love and understand um, in so many ways. So thanks again, Jim. Thank you. Many blessings to you. Thank Bye -bye. you. Okay. Okay. Thank you so This podcast is sponsored by OneLifeMaps.com, creators of unique visual life mapping materials titled Listen to My Life. Maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your Listen to My Life portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. You can help support this podcast and the work of One Life Maps by supporting us on Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash onelifemaps to pledge $5 or more per month and get weekly audio meditations to help you recognize and respond to God in your story. Thank you for tuning in to the One Life Maps podcast. Until next time, make the most of this one life that you've been gifted. Thank you.